hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Kanja Book Club, a weekly teeny podcast where we intentionally experience Star Wars stories together one month at a time. I am one of your hosts, Timothy Guthrie, and I am here this week with the man, the myth, the legend, the newly married Patrick McIntosh. How you doing, big guy? I am doing good and doing well under the servitude that is my wife. As long as you're both doing your parts, that is all that matters. <laughs> but I am glad to have you back. We missed having you um, this whole last month. We'll get to, um, I'll get your thoughts here on Air to the Empire here in a moment. But I am so glad that everyone else is here, um, however you are listening to us. And um, we are live in Discord every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern, and our episodes hit the Utini Patreon feed every Tuesday morning around midnight. If you can't catch us live, send us a message if you'd like to get your thoughts on the air. A couple of quick updates for you. Um, Utini, news at large in general, launched a whole bunch of stuff related to Alphabet Squadron this week. Um, we launched the official review um, that Eric and company wrote, and then we wrote a bunch of character collections, one of which I actually wrote, which is super cool. Um, I wrote one on our good boy, Will Lark, that's kind of an intro just to who he is and where you can find him. Um, we also have got stuff on Nath Tencent and Chastnachatic, um, and it's just a whole whole bunch of cool awesome work that went into this project for every new release that we're going to do. We're going to try to massively drop a whole bunch of stuff on the site. So be sure to check it out. Um, but you know, you, you've, you've done a lot of things recently, right? Like you got the the month off, you got married. You also pulled off a W this week in our book club pick for, uh, April. We're going to read into the dark, dude. Congratulations. Your book choice was selected by the patrons as our uh, book choice for the month of April, right after we finish Victory's Price. That brings, and Adam is is not here, unfortunately, to, uh, to, to settle in this, but I believe that that brings our record to you and I both being tied at three wins apiece and Adam sitting at one with his Heir to the Empire victory. It's a good time to be us, you know? It just, it feels good. I would say summers and spring is like kind of creeping around the corner. Oh God, never! I just the one thing I did forget about being in the cold. You forget, uh, as you and I know, Timothy living in the South, that when summer comes, oh God, the bugs are going to be hell. Oh yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, like we just traded like winter storm, like winter storm hellscape to uh, you know. Locust and mosquito swarms and of I'm Armageddon proportions. And of, of course, oh. you would bring up like locusts and things as Jared Mays hops into the chat. Uh, I'm sure he's got some things to say about some <laughs> Old Testament plagues. <laughs> so way, way to go there, Patrick. <laughs> hey, last week uh, we talked about Heir to the Empire. Um, you obviously missed it and we missed you. We truly did. But I've got to give one final shout out to our homegirl, Cheryl Bell, because she absolutely killed it being on the show. Um, it was so... She did a great job. So awesome to have her. Um, we loved getting her insights into her favorite book of all time. Um, and it was just... I just want to say, Cheryl, thank you again so much for coming on. We couldn't have, have talked about that book without you and are so glad to have gotten your input on it. 
but Patrick, you know, you were out last month. And before we get into Victory's Price, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Heir to the Empire. Do you have anything in particular you want to say about it um, and, and its place in the pantheon of Star Wars greatness? I always held it in high regard due to it was one of the first ones I've ever read. And it was also one of the first like audiobooks I had. I had it on like the cassette tape. And every time I'd go somewhere, like in a long distance trip, I'd make my mom play it. So she had it memorized by times like <laughs> I was like nine. Oh, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> and she's like, yes, we can listen to your Thrawn book again. Yay. But um, like, especially growing up in that era, it was, that was considered the, like, it's, it was kind of ushering a new era, but it was like how you felt. It was like what, what you, like the alleged episode seven was going to be. At right. that time, that's what you always thought it was going to be. You and you were always waiting for something of that magnitude, and it was—it's such a great, such a great book. And the trilogy is amazing that it always holds a high place. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we we absolutely loved it. We were so so glad that we got to cover it that we got to give Adam his one W uh, so far <laughs> amongst um, all of our, our choice selections uh, for our, our book reads. So let's talk about Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price, the whole reason that we are here today and the whole month of March. This book came out just four days ago, <laughs> March 2nd, 2021. Alexander Freed delivers up his masterpiece of a finale to this book trilogy. Um, for those of you that don't know Alexander Freed, he also wrote, um, obviously, the first two books in this trilogy, Alphabet Squadron and Shadowfall. He also wrote Battlefront Twilight Company. He wrote the Rogue One novelization, uh, some short stories in the From a Certain Point of View books. He wrote uh, Contingency Plan and The Man Who Built Cloud City um, in their respective Facepov books. And then in Legends, he's got the whole gamut. Um, he did the Old Republic graphic novels, uh, Blood of the Empire and The Lost Sons. He also contributed to Purge, um, which is a graphic novel collection of one-shot comics that follow Revenge of the Sith. And he also wrote some Insider Magazine shorts, um, which is pretty cool. But I think one of his biggest claims to fame is his work on Star Wars The Old Republic. Um, he got to work on that game back in 2011, and it is the most expansive project that he's worked on and just <laughs> did did so much good work with that, working on some expansions and stuff later. <laughs> Jared, that's right. Freed was a Legends author first. Yes, he is. You can have him. <laughs> um, but and with that game, what? He probably put in over, what, 200 hours of storyline? Oh, easily. Easily. Because um, not... it's like 180 hours to get through, like, first little storyline alone. Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't played it. But then to come back and even write some some further expansions is just wild. Um, but he also contributed to some other video games. He contributed to uh, Battlefront 2, the most recent one, 2017. He wrote some dialogue for it. Um, and he also did some work for Star Wars Uprising, the mobile video game. Um, and in some of those pieces, he actually gets to reference them in some of these books, which is really cool to see. So... Um, Always good to get some more Alexander Freed um, and really excited to dig into this. Do want to give a shout out to audiobook narrator January Lavoie. Um, she is well known within the Star Wars universe. She's narrated books like Bloodline. Um, she had a part in Dooku Jedi Lost. She um, narrated Phasma. And she's also done some stories in the From a Certain Point of View books. So she is no stranger to Star Wars. Um, absolutely phenomenal voice 
actress um, and have really enjoyed getting to listen to her story this time around as well. This book is set four years after the Battle of Yavin. It is after Shadowfall, which takes place six months after Return of the Jedi. Um, and on the timeline that is Trevor Davies' um, lifeblood um, that happens right before Aftermath, life debt is kind of where this starts off. Um, the Utini rating, we give it a 9.0. Um, the tag on it is that it's incredible. Um, Victory's Price is proof that Star Wars' tried and true three-act structure is the perfect format for telling an epic, breathtaking story that will leave every reader feeling hopeful and satisfied. So far, I don't feel so hopeful at the start of this book, so we will see how it goes. <laughs> Our squadron is struggling, Patrick. It's tough. We are going to just jump right into it. Um, this week, we're covering chapters one through seven of Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price. I'm going to go ahead and throw up that spoiler warning. So if you have not read the book and you plan to do so soon, continue at your own risk. The war is almost over, uh, though it has been that way for a while now. Shadow Wing is close to being found. Alphabet Squadron, though, is fragmented and all over the place. Will Lark is now a squadron commander and full of doubt. Nath Tencent is running intelligence in the wake of the death of Karen Aiden. And Chastna Chaddock is just an absolute mess. The latter two are searching out info on Shadow Wing and find this oracle that tells them to check the Kroinar sector. Uh, when Will gets the word, he leads three squadrons to Midgore and finds Imperial freighters damaged by ties and asking for rescue. He says they can help, though it could still be a trap. In another location, Soren Keys leads a proclamation of death against the planet Fedovoy End. When he gets no response from the ground, he launches the attack, which is basically Operation Cinder Part 2. Erika Quell is with him. Instead of just blowing everything straight to hell, she suggests causing a little panic first. As they chat, the mangled messenger from Battlefront 2, from the Aftermath trilogy, the one with the Emperor's face, shows up and shrieks, Defiance! 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 Alphabet Squadron watches the three-day-old footage of Keyes' proclamation and sets out to protect the future worlds. The team goes their separate ways when buzz droids all of a sudden start tearing into the ship. Quell and Keyes are repairing their freighter when they get into a discussion about the war and whether the Empire could ever truly win. Keyes just wants to save the soldiers, and he wants her help to do it. She's in a weird spot, though, working for Keyes and trying to betray him at the same time. Later, we see that she's been building a comm array to signal to the New Republic where Shadowing is. She gets knocked on the head pretty hard after a jump, and through blurred vision, she shoots the Emperor's messenger through the chest. That's creepy. Will runs into Nath, and they plan to open the shield doors to let the buzz droids out. It's risky. They talk in circles around their issues. Will doesn't want to be leading, but Nath decides to go outside the airlock and save the ship. Turns out it works. In the midst of the chaos, Hera tries to get to the bridge, but keeps having to double back. She runs into Kairos, who doesn't want to be touched or seen, but she desperately needs bandaging. She says she is incomplete since her suit and mask were removed from Troy. They acted as a chrysalis and were used for healing her. And while all of this is going on, Chas is wrestling with her place on the team, and she's hearing voices from the Children of the Empty Sun in her head. The droids apparently tore apart six ships in the hangar, including Chas's, and the mechanics were going through her things, playing clips from her cassettes of Latige, and she just absolutely loses it. Um, when all is back up and running, Will has a conversation with an elder from Polinius who indicates that uh, he is the last of his people to not return home. Keys and Quell start taking apart the messenger to figure out how it all works. Quell needs to get another message to the New Republic before Shadowing picks a new target. Um, and the 204th, they're just on edge and they desperate for a fight. 
Um, Keys allows them to study up on the New Republic, but they have another system to ruin first. The Deliverance, which is Hera's Star Destroyer, comes out of hyperspace to find Shadowwing in the middle of drills. They attack, but the 204th jumps. Two more times occur, and Shadowwing resorts to kamikaze piloting. The fourth time, they last just six minutes, but Shadowwing still gets away. Chas speaks to Hera about her altercation with the ground crew. Hera mentions that an unauthorized communication gave away their position to the 204th. Um, Quell cues one final blast from her comma ray, but Shadowwing ends up escaping again. After another funeral, Keyes says that it's time for Quell to get back into a TIE fighter. Will, on the other side, feels the skirmishes are routine. He's getting used to this. They jump into an asteroid field, but then a lone TIE is shooting at asteroids to make the chase more difficult, but not directly shooting at Will. We learn that it's Quell. She announces herself, tells them to leave or be destroyed, and then Shadowing jumps away. This was one of the craziest uh, openings to a book I feel like I've ever seen. There's so many like psychological discussions to be had. There's so much trauma that is running through both sides of these teams. Um, and there's just a lot of places that this could go. Um, there's no like definitive way that this ends from the outset, I guess. So Patrick, let's just get right into it. You know, thinking about the main plot, um, we got alphabet squadron is super fractured right now. Operation cinder is pretty much still ongoing, albeit in a different form. And it feels like there's several kind of crises of consciences happening all at once. Um, for our heroes, what is the most important thing they need to figure out to get through this? Honestly, I think a lot of them have to figure out and just be honest with how they feel about their place and everything. Because early on, it feels like Lark is still in this weird void with being the leader of everything and trying to get everyone back together. But at the same time, he's like, like a leader's natural unease of, I just don't know. Yeah. Like, just like, I'm just not sure. Like, and especially with something such a military campaign. Nothing, you know, battle plans and stuff like that are never going according to plan. And for a new leader, that can just fracture your confidence. Yeah. I think one of the most jarring things was when she asks Lark, is Alphabet Squadron ready for Shadowwing? And that very weird hesitation of a yes, like, yeah, kind of. It's just like, tell us how you really feel, buddy. Because that's not a yes I want to hear. That's not like a, yeah, he's like, he's hyping you up to his commanding officers. No, he's he's still kind of scared for y'all. Yeah, well, there's, you know, she she kind of voices, you know, in her head of like, I know that they're ready to do this, but I need to know that you know as their squadron commander that they're ready. And he's in that weird spot, right, where he's never wanted to be a leader. He just wanted to get in and fight and then go home. Like all, all Will wants is to go home. Um, and it's one of those weird things where by not wanting to be a leader, sometimes those kind of characters make the best leaders. But if you don't, if you desperately don't want it, it could jeopardize everything. And it's also, he's the leader too. Cause he's the most sensible one in that squad. Right. Yeah. He does. A, a <laughs> like he's the job. most, he's the most like sane level headed one there. It's like, ah, oh, God dang it. By default, this guy has to do it. He's a great guy, and, but he doesn't want to do it. But by default, you got to do it because you're the only one we trust not to do some wild stuff. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, I think the most important thing that, that alphabet squadron needs to figure out is, is 
each individual character has has to has to get it together <laughs> because no one is on any kind of stable footing it seems like um and that's one of the things that will as this kind of de facto leader needs to he needs to get himself right but then he's got to figure out how to help everyone else on his squadron get right and that's very difficult when nobody wants that yeah cuz everyone seems like they're one bad decision away from just completely falling apart and you know will seems like he's at least a decision half away but he's also the most likely to make a good decision to keep himself steady yeah you just see like the weight compounding on his shoulders just right off the bat and we'll get to to talking about each of our characters a little bit more in particular but um you know one of the things that i was going back and looking through uh, in pre- preparation for this episode was looking at how exactly this fits chronologically within the timeline, right? So this happens, you know, sh- within the year after the end of return of the Jedi um, and happens before we get to uh, aftermath life debt. It happens right before that. So I was checking out Trevor's work on the timeline and it, it's going through all of that. And it's, it, it has in my head, like, I want to ask you, does knowing how, I guess, the greater story, knowing how it's going to end, does it affect the way that you read this particular book and this series, you know, all together? A little bit, because you know, it always gives you good help to know where each piece fits in the end of, like, the overall puzzle. And it's a great tieback. So, also, you're no longer as... Let me put it like this. I'm no longer as worried about the overall story, and I get more more mental space to focus on the characters because yeah. I'm no longer worrying about what's going to happen. Because you know, yeah, like, that's a that's an excellent like point. you know you know where it's going. So focus on the development of the individual character. Focus on their choices. Focus on their mental struggles, and and focus on their little little decisions in their um intercharacter interpersonal um interactions yeah i think i'm gonna agree with you 100 percent there um because one of the things about these books i think that makes them stand out apart from the rest is that alexander freed really knows how to get into the psyches of these characters like it's not that these characters are super well known, but I feel like they are the most well known on a deep, intimate level out of just about any other characters in Star Wars. I mean, with just three books, you know, we know more about the the character and, and personification of of Will Lark and Chasna Chaddock, for instance, than I mean, like than we know about most characters in Star Wars, I would feel like. Um, and it's just the way that Freed is able to write them so intentionally um, that, yeah, I care way more um, knowing that everything is going to be okay. I don't know that everything is going to be okay for them in particular. Um, and so I'm way more invested in this moment in, are they going to make it out okay? Sure, the good guys are going to win at the Battle of Jakku, but like, are these guys going to be there and are they going to come out all right? Um, that's something that, I'm really excited to see, I think. It goes really back to what um, I think it was either Corey or Charles was saying on The Living Force, that you really can tell canon is for characters and legends was for the story. Hmm. Because um, it just shows, like, you know, they're piecing smaller stories of characters um, who, they you know, they're not 
like well-known people were getting like you know these officers these um like officers of like the republic officers of the empire people who are not mentioned and as eric said they're humanizing them they're telling their story and they're they're being flushed out but we're showing their life in the grand scheme of things not so much telling the grand scheme and adding them later on you know what i mean yeah okay I think I follow that. Uh, Jared would agree. He said that, yeah, in general, the canon books have been a little bit more character centric. Um, They haven't had so far. Canon hasn't had many stories that have significantly advanced the overall story. And I I think I, I definitely do agree with that. The canon so far has spent a lot of time really detailing the in-betweenness um, of some of the major arcs that we know rather than really pushing outside of the films. And I, I guess that's something too, that right now it seems like Canon is kind of leaning on the television and, and movie side of things to push the overall narrative while the books are really digging into the, the individual characters quite a bit. So I think, I think that makes sense. You, you, we haven't seen anything in, in Canon yet that would rival something like the Thrawn trilogy from legends like heir to the empire, dark force rising, last command. We haven't seen anything necessarily of that level yet. I think aftermath may have gotten a little bit close, but like we haven't seen anything quite there yet. Aftermath would have, I can't remember. Did it come after or before? The, um, the first book was in lead up to the force awakens. It was, part, okay. it was part of that initiative. That's right. I, but yeah, all right, that would, like you were saying, that would be the closest. Honestly, even a lot of the television we're, we're getting is um is it's still very, like, piecing in and character-based. Yeah. If you want to be honest. Yeah, it's been it's been really, really cool um, to see kind of the differences between those. And, and hopefully, you know, now that we've gotten, um, now that, like, Episode Nine has kind of finished up, we've got some new projects in the works. Um, the High Republic is the is the biggest thing to happen to Star Wars in a very long time, um, especially on the, Our, the book front. Wait, how do we just miss that? I'm bringing it up now. <laughs> I mean, that, that's advancing the story. That's it uh, is it is by like... by going backwards. <laughs> but yes, I mean, it's kind of playing like the Old Republic thing, and like you know, go backwards to go true. forward. Yeah, that's true. I love that. Yeah, that we are getting to spend some more time with these particular characters and we're not so concerned about what comes next in terms of the grand overall story. Um, I love the fact that Hera is in control of a Star Destroyer. I think that's super trippy. Um, It just seems a little out of place in my head. I'm trying to reconcile those things. Um, But then, you know, we also hear setting wise that we get, you know, the Empire strengthening for a final stand out in the Western reaches on the edge of the unknown regions. And I, I do love how how interconnected these canon books have been i love that that we are getting to spend some time referencing each other and pulling in you know armies and 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 major battles and that this is all kind of building into a a set kind of thing so um but i want to get your opinion on alphabet squadron in general the unit um and how they've changed throughout the series um what is something that you've noticed through these three books so far um, about the unit in particular um, one of all, they always remind me of a, they always remind me of like a sports team that has a lot of talent, but they have a lot of locker room issues. Okay. That's, 
yeah that's the whole thing about them it's like oh they're so talented but oh every time you hear something about coming out about them it's kind of wild jared mace called him the rocket yeah they're like they're like the rockets they're like the the 90s bulls with bad management like i can't quite figure out what's going on with them right we find when there's reports Chaz is in the strip club before a mission god you know what why in the world is Chaz to chatic dennis rodman <laughs> no she's Jane. I-, I was gonna say james harden she's taking the shots too that's fair that's fair but yeah, it's really interesting to see. I mean, they came together as this mismatched, you know, group of um, of individuals that had nothing to do with each other, and then they're all of a sudden trying to just like run with it, and they're still falling apart three books in. Yeah, so they really are the Rockets. They, they re- had to go up against the Warriors, and then they blew a three to one lead. <laughs> Steph Curry, oh, man. Steph Curry from outside the asteroid field said, "Ba bam." Uh, that's so tough. So tough. Well, who is... And they lost the conference finals in seven games, even though Chasna had 63 kills and 22 <laughs> assists. And Will Lark, he had a record-breaking 22, 22, and 10. Yeah. Well, as we're going down you know, the stat line, do you have a favorite character on this death NBA squad? I like Chaz, and I like Will. Will, because he seems like... He's like someone... <laughs> He's so relatable as in someone who's like, they're trying their best. They feel like their best isn't enough. And they feel like they're drowning in their best. But they just need some reassurance. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel like, you there. I feel like Will just needs a hug. Right? Yeah, he needs he needs a hug and he needs a one-way ticket back home as soon as possible. Right? Yeah. No, I'm I'm kind of digging Chaz's story. I know that she had a, a major focus in Shadowfall, but so far just in this little bit to see how how unhinged she still is um and how she's trying to to work through her her grief and her place on the squad and her place on the, you know, in the, the new Republic at large, like she's a wild card and you never quite know what way she's going to go except for, you know, she's going to make things complicated. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested to see how her story in particular shakes out because at this point, homegirl's got a death wish and I, I don't want her, I, I don't want her to end up there. Um, and so I'm interested to see what kind of lessons that she can learn through this. Cause I think she may be one of the characters that will probably demonstrate the most growth through this whole trilogy. Um, and I'm, I'm, I don't know. She's the one that I'm most interested in at this particular point. Uh, this is not to throw shade at my boy, Will, who I wrote a collection about. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, AKA Eric Eilerson. But yeah, I'm really interested to see, to see what Chas does on the other side of things. Five bucks. She has a climactic death at the end. Oh, <laughs> uh, I sure hope not. <laughs> you know, on the, on the other side of things, we get Erica Quell, who was um, a member of shadowing initially and then became a part of alphabet squadron kind of not willingly. Right. And then she leaves. Everyone kind of thinks she's dead, but we learned that she's at the end of Shadowfall. We learned that she went back to shadow wing. And now we learned that she's trying to sabotage the 204th, um, regardless of whether or not the new Republic knows about it and whether or not she's going to be rewarded for it. Are you surprised that she's in this position? Oh, that's a little tough. 
because part of me was like, I'm not surprised because, you know, you could see how she had a heart and everything, even though she didn't want to originally, you know, be an alphabet squadron. And, and um, going back, I can see how she would be like, she, yeah, she'd have a change of heart and a change of mind, especially seeing what's going on right now. Just seeing how kind of the infighting in the empire against empire, like it's not a winnable, it's not a winnable war for them at this point. So it's like, just kind of pick the winning side. Yeah. It's interesting because everyone, I mean, even keys who we're going to talk about here in a second, like everyone has their, their own personal reasons for being here. I mean, for being in this. And so it seems like Quell has just decided to punt everything for the most part and do the most good that she can, especially after her conversation with, with Aiden in Shadowfall. You know, she's trying to make the best of, of her situation um, and make her best mark on the galaxy that's possible. Um, and then we get, you know, a guy like Keys, whose mission is pretty much just to save his soldiers, um, if not for if not trying to save the empire itself. Like he, he knows that there is no, no realistic sense that the empire is going to pull it together and pull this thing off. But he does want to save the empire's soldiers. He wants to save Shadowwing and the two of fourth. What do you make of, of that particular personalized mission for him? He reminds me of almost like a paleon. Interesting. How so? This may be just like my skewed, like, recency biased because i've been doing like a lot of new um like the use on vong series reading and legacy of the force reading lately and it's like man seems like a person with a lot of sense he's not here to get everybody killed he's kind of honorable he's yes he's imperial but he's not he's not like the malevolently evil imperial he's just like the order and justice imperial that's just here to make sure nothing falls and goes to hell. Okay. Yeah, and he's he's not for just, you know, having everybody die in mindless bloodshed for nothing. How I find Keys um, as. I should say an unrefined pillar. Okay. He's just in there trying to do, you know, the best that he knows how to do. He's not in it for any kind of super glory or anything like that. Um it's really interesting to see how he just wants to give shadowing purpose, right? Like he, he doesn't want them just, you know, floundering around um, and just kind of making it up as they go along. He knows that they need to be part of the empire to have some kind of direction to do something to eventually strike back the new Republic. But at the same time, he doesn't want, he doesn't believe in it, I guess. Um, he's just trying to give them a purpose and a reason for being. And I thought it was really interesting to to watch his questioning with Quell on if the Empire did have their stuff together. Um, if after Endor there was clear leadership and they were able to pull out and they were able to to restructure and, and have a better chance of, of fighting and a better chance of winning if, if everything was made a little bit more clear. He's like, even still, I don't know that it necessarily would have been worth it and at this particular point in time knowing that and i think will's on the same boat on the other side of things but just like they've been fighting for so long they don't want to wimp out and lose but they also know that they're not going to win 
but it's like you've just been in it too long you have to keep fighting anyways um it's just it's to me it's almost like a uh like a doubling down on on ignorance i guess does that make sense i feel you it also sounds to me like mama didn't raise a quitter so he's like yeah that's that's fair <laughs> that's fair <laughs> mama didn't raise a quitter that's all that is that's fair well and it's it it's so hard to see because i think warfare in general i mean there there's very much i think you could pull this i i'm sure that freed pulled this you know out of real life that there are some there are some people who will just follow orders um there are some people who even though they know it's going to be too late even though it's not going to be worth anything it's what they were you know quote made to do unquote and so that's just that's what they're going to do um and that's it's really tricky to see and it's really hard to see on both sides of things like will doesn't believe in what he's doing but he's still doing it anyways right now um and eventually you're going to have to cross a line where you've either got to you know kamikaze yourself to prevent the um oh what's the the tractor beam thing you know down like you're gonna fight for it that hard and just get in and get out kind of like chas with her death death wish she wants to go out in a blaze of glory or you just go home (laughs) um and it seems like you know they're just they're in this constant battle and they can't figure out where to go they're just lost because they've been in it for so long um that's really hard to see and it's really interesting that keys is trying to make some sense of that even though he knows it's worthless in the end anyways um that brings up a thought of mine. Do you think there was a way that the Empire could have actually either pulled this out or survived, kind of like in Legends? I don't know. We talked about it a little bit last week, um, which I really enjoyed a discussion. Um, and we talked about Zahn's points that he made in the 20th anniversary edition, that if maybe somebody like Thrawn had been at Endor, you know, maybe they would have pulled out sooner you know if it wasn't up for the emperor's you know personalized vendetta against luke and vader and trying to bring ultimate destruction against the rebellion you know maybe someone like thrawn if he was actually in control could have pulled ever pulled all the resources in pulled out sooner once he recognized the loss was going to happen and then regrouped and done something a little bit better right away um zahn seems to think that thrawn would have would have won the battle of endor maybe um yeah, it'd, it'd be really interesting to see a world where that where that could have happened. One last question, talking about the shadowing side of things. Um, one, how did you feel when Erika Quell shot the Emperor's messenger? And then two, did you promptly hide under your blanket like I did any time that it showed back up again and they started trying to dig into its body? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of laughed when she shot. I was like, because I hated that thing. Yeah. I hated those little it's messengers. So they creeped me out, especially in the game. Like, yeah, you just especially like in the game, and you see the um thing come out of the shadows. And just, yep. Yeah, it's got like an old guy's face on a glass head. It's like, ah, oh, shoot it, burn it with fire. Yeah, there's there's something coming. I have a feeling related to this thing. Like they've already spent some time digging into it and trying to figure out the the point of it, how it knows who to contact and, and, and when, how it was able to sense some loyalty for operation Cinder and all that. I'm really interested to see where that goes. Um, and I, I can't imagine that it's going to end well for anybody, but fascinating stuff. Let's get to our folks in alphabet squadron. So Hera, um, love her to pieces, right? She's, she questions Chas towards the end of the section about her affiliation, um, to the children of the empty sun, um, because it may have revealed their location to shadow wing. 
Um, did you put the pieces together that it was Will's communications with Polinius that actually did that? And, you know, we've, we've we've talked about it a little bit, but what do you make of his allegiances? Like, is he going to up and abandon ship? I don't think Will would fully abandon ship. I do think he's just there to, he's there more so and double down on the fact that he's the leader. Mm. I feel like he, if he wasn't like in control, well, I shouldn't say in control because ain't nobody really in control enough of his squadron. Um, if he wasn't in charge, he would be more likely to just call it and mm. go home. Okay. But but now that he has responsibility, he's that he's the honest guy that would try and do his best. Yeah. Gonna try and take care of everybody. So I don't see him abandoning and cutting and run. I gotcha. Yeah, I I'm really interested to see where that goes because I don't know. I don't know. I feel like he is so in his head um, that he would even make a decision like this that could possibly jeopardize the mission without thinking through those consequences. And maybe it's just because leadership is still so new to him too. Um, but I just I have to wonder if if he's eventually going to break. Um, and someone who is not going to break at all, we get this really cool scene with Hera and Kairos. Um, they have this incredible moment together uh, where Kairos is trying to, like she's um, really beaten up and she needs to get bandaged. And Hera has this really cool moment where she tries to help and and still be respectful of, of who Kairos is and her wishes and desires. What did you take away from that scene with them? embarrassing moment here i'm this might have been one of those uh audiobook um parts where i was just zoned out and it kept playing that's fair <laughs> that's fair <laughs> I, was, I gotta be honest i was like because oh. i have those adhd moments people yeah well so the the thing that stuck out to me is basically when Hera is trying to help patch kairos together there's a line where um kairos is like oh like you understand you know, why I need to do these things. And Harris says, I don't honestly, like I don't understand, um, but I don't need to, in order to respect who you are. Um, and I think that that's really powerful from Hera to have this moment where she doesn't understand anything about Kairos. Kairos is an anomaly, um, but she still is able to give some trust and some care to, to the relationship and to who she is in an individual um, that she will do whatever is asked to make sure, you know, that she can, um, keep her team together. You know, there are a thousand other things that she needs to be doing in the moment. She's got to be getting to the bridge. She's got to be doing this. She's got to be doing that. But there's someone immediately in front of her that needs her help. Someone on her team that desperately needs her help. And so she's going to help right then and there. Um, and for me, you know, with the background that I have, it reminds me a lot of, you know, there's 99 sheep or there were a hundred and you got to go and get the one. Cause that's the one that matters. Um, and I love that there's that reference that that loyalty and, and leadership from Hera is to go, there's a thousand things wrong in this very moment, but this one person who desperately needs help is going to get it from me because I'm right here and I can do it. Absolutely love that scene. So I hate that you zoned out through it, but, um, but, I, but I, I love Hera. It's just more reasons to love Hera, right? Well, we see that from her, like her adjustment from her of uh, the mission first in Rebels, like the very beginning of Rebels, yeah. to she's more of taking care of, the, I'm taking care of my people, my family first, 
and we can still accomplish the mission. Um, I just, we can still accomplish what we have to get done. I just need to make sure my people are okay first. Yeah. And, uh, and it's probably a big turning point with Kanan, um, with his passing, probably, probably changed her a lot and pushed her down this road more so. Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. Uh, Chris asks, asks an interesting question. Uh, do you think the voice actors, uh, like from rebels and clone wars, do you think they read their books? Uh, like when their characters are in it, I don't know that they would read every one. I'm sure they got busy lives to lead, but I would also think, uh, I know Vanessa Marshall, we know Ashley Eckstein did. Yeah, this is true. You definitely know she did. Um, I know that Vanessa Marshall who voices Hera, um, I know that she tweeted about victory's price being out. So even if they don't read them, I'm sure that if they have hopes to stay connected in star Wars and if they, um, you know, are, are planning more stories like Hera's was very instrumentally involved in, uh, like in squadrons in the video game and things like that. I'm sure that she's at least going to get some kind of spark notes, uh, cliff notes versions of, you know, this is where the character has gone and this is what she's done. Um, but yeah, I, any any time i think that at least if it were me i would read everything but i'm also a massive star wars fan um but well so is vanessa marshall now yeah she loves it yeah i mean she is hera for all intents and purposes if you to be honest a lot of like the voice actors are in like the people who work in association in any of the media they're really into it yeah or they at least get into they do get into it by time it's uh time like they finish their project like freddie prince jr yeah and chris also says like sam Whitwer, <laughs> like yeah he is he is you know life and death he is maul through and through um and star killer as well but uh yeah i don't know i i would That's i would think right, that, he was star killer right <laughs> it changes everything <laughs> you know it's wild that that was almost 15 years ago i know i know nuts oh he is the son too wow Yes, he was. I forgot about that. Yeah, he was. He was the the son in the Mortis art. I'm telling you, and, man. He he knows his stuff, so he probably reads everything. He does. He probably does. Oh yeah. But again, you kind of have also to whenever you're so involved. Right? How are you gonna keep up? You yeah. got 50 different roles in like three different episodes. You got to pay attention, man. Yeah. You got to do better than me. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, one. Um, I guess one kind of final, final point, uh, for this particular section, and then we're going to get into some, uh, connections and Easter eggs and stuff. But I guess as we begin the ending of this particular trilogy, you know, what are you hoping to see in the conclusion when it's all said and done? What do you hope happens? I would like to see it just show the, just the status of the both of them of both of these two squadrons going into Jakku. Like, I, and I hope Shadowing is still around going into Jakku. Like, I don't want them to be finished off beforehand. Mm-hmm. I got you. And I, I also want to, I really want to, like, know Harris' story going down the line, too, more so. Yeah. Because they do say she's at Jakku, don't they? Isn't there, I feel like there's a, Something that references her there. Possibly. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% on that. Don't quote me on it. But I think that sounds right. I'm not either. I w- yeah, and I just want to know, because they don't really talk about her from there on. Right. So I want to... And I kind of want this to encompass, like, the very end to be Jakku. 
mm-hmm. and to say where Hera goes from there. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see how I, I want to see them pull through. And I, I, I think it would be, it would be weird to not see these two squadrons go up against each other, whether it's at Jakku or around it or whatever that looks like, like this, this is a, a trilogy for a reason. Like these were written for a reason. And I want to see, I want to say that they are going to be instrumental to how that battle turns out. I think that's what I'm hoping to see, um, that we wouldn't have gotten the ending that we got if it wasn't for them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. It. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, yeah. Because I feel like if Shadow Wing goes out early, then it's it's kind of take kind of take a lot of the air out of it for me. Like, oh, mm, I got kind of one of that epic, sh- kind of one of that epic showdown at the end, like you know, the all or nothing. Right. I'm I'm really really excited to finish reading this. So far, I've only read the first seven chapters. Next week, we're going to be reading from chapters eight to thirteen. But there's probably a chance that I'm going to get on a roll and finish the book this week. You never know. <laughs> Um, wanted to point out a couple of connections and Easter eggs and, and things that I saw. Um, so aftermath, which is, uh, or, and particularly I think empire's end, um, we'll end up having a lot of overlap with this book. Um, I've been really, really excited to see how it's all connected. Um, keys is now receiving his orders from grand Moff Rand, um, who refuses to answer, uh, where grand Admiral Sloan is now. And I thought that was kind of cool. Um, the status of Coruscant, um, which is, was kind of mentioned that they still have that stronghold. We know that Masa Meda is there. Um, I thought that was cool to see the Imperials are gathering for the final battle at Jakku. The fact that we got that reference is really cool. Um, there's a passing mention of the Anoat sector, um, still being occupied by the Imperials. And that ties into the uprising mobile game, which we mentioned that freed had a hand in. Um, and then later keys ponders a timeline where worlds like Garentham pledged allegiance to the Imperial high command immediately after Endor. And that planet is first mentioned in galaxy guide Two, Um, and it serves as the Anoat sector's capital. I did love that we get more of operation sender showing up, you know, with, with Shadow Wing here executing, you know, this previously unseen second wave of it um, against disobedient Imperial worlds. Like, I think that's really interesting. Um, and obviously Operation Cinder was first seen in Shattered Empire, which is probably my favorite limited series of the new canon period. Um, and it most recently got a mention in The Mandalorian, which is cool. And then the book has some more connections with the trilogy's um, TIE Fighter tie-in comic. That was uh, that comic series, limited series, first came out with the first Alphabet Squadron book. Uh, but we get some more characters um, like Tesho Bruch from there. Um, and then he's joined by Gila Brebton and, and Bansu Rowe who are also in that comic. So it's cool to see some more overlap. Um, and then we also saw um, that Shadow Wing has a non-functional Pazak table, uh, which is the card game that is played in the Knights of the Old Republic, uh, which is really cool. Freed flexing a little bit more of those muscles there. I was terrible at that game. I tried to play it and I sat down at a Pazak table uh, and I'm just, I'm horrible. <laughs> lose all your money doing that mess. I know. It's I like, know. Oh, it's the worst. Saving up for new weapons and it's gone. Yeah, it's the absolute worst. Uh, but so far, as we as we wind up the show, do you have any favorite moments or characters from this first seven chapters? Oof, do I have a favorite moment? Honestly, I think one of my favorite ones is like a small moment where they're in the meeting. And I think this is either early chapter two or late chapter one. 
when Hera just pretty much shuts down um, mm. Mon Mothma's aid. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Mm-hmm. When when the aide's just, like, trying to get, like, uppity with her, and he's like, yeah, and Hera's just, like, having none of it. Like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Who's this unnamed young man questioning me? Boy, go somewhere. Yeah, it's really cool to get her, her viewpoint on how those leadership meetings all, all happen and go down. And she's like, we all know each other well enough to know that we've all got our own stuff to do. And that neither of us, like none of us really care about what the other one is doing, except for that we trust that they're going to be fine. <laughs> uh, she's like, I don't, I don't have time for this. I got stuff I, I need to be doing right now. Yeah, that's a cool moment. I loved, I think, Will trying to be a leader um watching him you know try to console some of his teammates and and congratulate them and, and check in on them um obviously he's the cover of this book so i'm preparing for some kind of emotional reaction to the end of this um whether it is a gut punch that he has died or joyful uh jubilation that he has survived and all is well with him i don't know but watching him try to figure everything out um is really interesting to see him in this middle ground of honestly trying to be a good person trying to help his teammates win this war for the betterment of everything but also just knowing that it doesn't sit right still and he's got to figure out where his place is and all that um i just i love anytime he's on the page um and to see what kind of questions you mean when he's making eric's on the page yes anytime that eric eilerson is on page i've just got to think man i can't wait till will talks about eric on the living force next week you know like I, it's that kind of stuff i'm looking forward to <laughs> it's amazing how great of a job will does around on, here at utini yeah i know he he really pulls his weight let me tell you <laughs> Oh, man. Well, thank you to everyone for listening, for joining. Thanks to Jared and Chris for hanging out with us. Um, Next week, we will be talking through Alphabet Squadron Victory's Prize, chapters 8 through 13. Um, In the meantime, you can find me, Timothy, on Twitter and Discord, at underscore T Guthrie. Adam, who is not here with us today, uh, but he'll be back next week, is at Darkstar. And Patrick is on Discord, at Mac11. If you want to help support the show, head on over to utini.com, look up Victory's Price, and click the Amazon link on the profile. It'll keep us on the air and help us produce some more awesome content. You'll find links to Victory's Price and April's book, Patrick's Pick, Into the Dark, in the show notes, um, and in the Start Here channel and Discord. We will get that up later today. Um, if you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on Patreon or pick up some merch at utini.com forward slash merch. A special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson, Kyle Hickman, Elizabeth Cloutier, and Freddie C. on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier and Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support Patrick, thank you for podcasting with me today, may the force be with you everyone